Genesis chapter 12. And the title this morning is Abram or Abraham. I'm sure I'm going to get those confused. Abram, righteous by faith alone. Now, as you've seen, as we've seen so far in this series, the grand narrative of Scripture finds its origins in the book of Genesis. Genesis is where we first encounter really everything, but specifically the covenants or promises or agreements God has made. His first covenant was with Noah, and now here in Genesis 12, we have the beginning of really an astonishing covenant in terms of its reach. I don't think it's a stretch to say the reason you and I are here today gathered is because of God's covenant with Abram. Now, as one commentator, Chris Bruno, Chris passed this on to me, our Chris passed this quote on to me, as the covenants in the Bible unfolded, they built on one another. Because God was still committed to keeping his covenant with creation, he came to Abraham with a promise to bless all the families of the earth through him. In other words, God was going to keep that first covenant by keeping covenant with Abraham. So could we read Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and then let's pray together. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now how many of you have read Genesis 12 before? How many of you have read Genesis 12 many times before? Yeah, and that's our danger, isn't it? And so would you pray with me that God by His Spirit would, would do something in each of us individually but also corporately that, that speaks to us anew in a fresh, Spirit-filled way this morning. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the theme throughout worship, through prophetic ministry and prayer that, Lord, just brings us to this place. Lord, we're here by faith. And one day when we see you face to face, it will also be by faith. But as we also heard this morning, sometimes our faith, or at least pockets of it, get weak, get, get beat up, get discouraged. What will sustain who will sustain our faith? This faith that came as a gift so that none of us here could boast. Oh, Lord, this morning, would you speak to faith? Would you grant the gift of faith? Would you strengthen faith? Would you do what you uniquely know needs done in our hearts as it relates to faith in you. Lord, everything in this world is attacking faith. But your promise is this. You will remain faithful. And so, Holy Spirit, do what only you can. Speak to us. Make this passage familiar to so many of us. Come alive anew. This morning we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, who was Abram, who would later be renamed Abraham, which means father of many? He's one of the key figures of the Old Testament. 
Other than Moses, no other Old Testament character gets the playtime in Scripture like Abram does. Genesis, or James, excuse me, James 2.23 refers to Abraham as God's friend. Now, there's a lot we don't know about him, but we know a little bit because we have a biography in Genesis chapter 11, and it reads this way. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of of Canaan. Now, for some reason, we're not told why, but uh, Nahor doesn't go with them. So two sons go with dad. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So that's the remaining verses of Genesis 11, 24 through 32 in summary. Now, genealogies in Scripture, they're there for a reason. They give us important information that often signals something in the development of the redemptive storyline of Scripture, and that's the case here. That's not just random stuff. That's there to help us get some context over who is this Abram. Abram would live, as the story tells us, the narrative tells us, for the first 70 years of his life in Ur, or modern-day Iraq. Abram and his family lived among a people who worshipped false gods, specifically the moon god Sin, who was a prevalent deity worshipped in Ur at that time, the, the weather god as well. Now, at 70 years old, Abram is married but without any children, and not for modern 21st century reasons. It wasn't like, well, we're waiting to have children, or, or it wasn't, well, once we get settled, we'll have children. No, that, that's not the reason. The reason is Sarai cannot have children. She's barren. And in her time and her day and her place, that was, that was a mark of scorn and ridicule in her culture. That's what's going on for them. That carried for her and Abram, by extension, a hopeless stigma in their time. For whatever reason we're not told, Abram's father decides to move the family to Canaan but they settled in the city of Haran along the way. They didn't make it to Canaan, at least not yet. So there's a little bit of background on Abram. But the big idea at this point in Abram's life is that because of the unmerited kindness and mercy of God, Abram was called by name. We have no account of his early life and how he lived it. We're not told that God chose him because Abram was particularly good or noble. We, we only know that one day, God called him by name. Believer, you know it's the same with you and me, right? For, for, for reasons we'll never understand in this life. For, for, it's not because you were particularly good or you were particularly bad. No, 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 no. Just because God said you were called by name. He didn't look at your bio or my bio like, how about that one? No. That's not how salvation goes down. Not for Abram, not for you, not for me, not for anyone. We just know he called him by name. So, so with that background, let's just reread this passage. The Lord said to Abram, remember, he doesn't even know who the Lord is. He doesn't know this God. 
the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you. So just in case there's any confusion for Abram, like, you only leave my country, but, well, okay, I guess we'll all go. No, we're not all going. No, you're going to not only leave your country, you're going to leave your kindred and leave your father's house. That was unheard of in their day. And I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great so you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in all the families of the earth, you shall be blessed. Now, it's difficult, but try to put yourself in his time and context and ask yourself, would you be willing to leave everything you've known behind, everything familiar to you, and just go to an undeclared destination told to you by a God you've never known. Would you do that? Family units may not be as tightly knit, geographically speaking, as they used to be, but in Abram's time, the family unit and proximity to your family unit was everything. Now, currently, I live a thousand miles from my parents. Living a hundred miles from your parents or even ten miles from your parents in Abram's time was virtually unheard of. You lived with your family, close to your family. Add to that, Abram grew up surrounded by the worship of a pantheon of gods, but Yahweh was not one of them. In fact, Joshua 24, 2 tells us Abram himself was a worshiper of these gods. Makes sense. It's what he grew up knowing. So, He isn't only being asked to pick up and go to a yet unnamed destination. He's being asked to do so by a God he's never known or worshipped. Would you do it? Now, this God has just spoken seven blessings over Abram, at least seven, in just a few words. I'll, I'll make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. Now, by the way, time doesn't permit, but what a contrast with Genesis 11 earlier in the chapter with the Tower of Babel. Do you remember the motive as to why the people wanted to build the Tower of Babel? Babel, Babel, whatever. (laughs) The tower. (laughs) We will make a what? Name for ourselves. A great name for ourselves. Which is why God brought him down. And he turns right around chapter 12 and says to Abram, I, you all don't make great names for yourself. I will make a great name of you. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who dishonor you. I will bless all the families of the earth through you. Now Shane will expound more on this covenant next week because it takes several chapters for this covenant to develop. But for our purpose this morning, our focus this morning is on Abram's response. In my opinion, three of the most powerful words in Scripture are found in Genesis 12, 4. Please don't look at me. Look at the text Now, I don't know what version you're looking at. I'm reading from the ESV. Think about that. This God has spoken. He's never known. He's telling him to leave everything he knows, and you don't get to take your whole family, and I'm not telling you where you're going. Verse 4. So Abram went. Church, to me, those are three of the most powerful words in Scripture. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. There's another added detail. Let's start life all over at 75. Where are you going? Don't know. No idea. Are we going with you? 
Nope. So Abram went. What's the summary this morning? What are we going to see this morning? This is not new, but may it fall anew. Church, righteousness is by faith, not works. We are saved and credited as righteous by faith alone and only in God's covenant of grace. A simple way to put that, the greatest accomplishment in Abram's life was trusting God. That will be the same for all who believe. And these powerful words, so Abram went, are like forerunners of everyone who places their faith and trust for the forgiveness of their sins through and in Jesus Christ. Now there's a sense in which these words are an assault on reality for Abram. He's going to be made, he's going to be a great nation, but he's childless, married to a barren wife. And the promise isn't that Abraham will be like a great dad or you're going to have a large family. No, a great nation through whom all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. There's nothing circumstantially for Abram that makes any sense of that. Many of you have that story though. Not Abram's, but your own in different ways where over the years in your pilgrimage of faith, God's called you to things How many of you have had that moment? Have you had that moment where you tried to explain to family members or a friend why you're doing what you're doing and it wasn't making sense to them? Anyone? Anyone? (laughs) You only know like Abram only knew. As best I can discern, this is God's will. So you go. Abram went. He was asked in a sense to believe and go in the dark. And he did. And his response in verse 4, it's immediate and unquestioning. I love the, the rawness of verse 4. Here's the problem. There's no, so Abraham took three weeks to think about it. Abram consulted with others. No, he went. That's it. He just went. It's immediate. It's unquestioning. And Hebrews 11 gives us commentary on the significance of his response. This is Hebrews 11, verses 8 and 9. By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, Paul, in Romans 4, will make very clear the theological significance of this, and particularly how is it that Abraham was credited as righteous? From Romans 4, beginning in verse 1, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You see what's said about Abram? He was unrighteous. He was ungodly. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Abram wasn't called or chosen because he was godly. No. He worshiped false gods. He was counted as righteous by faith. Now, the nature of faith, yes and no at the same time. Is faith a one-time act? Not a trick question. Is faith a one-time act? Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. We, we don't get saved over and over again. <laughs> Once you've placed your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins, that's it. You're sealed. But simultaneously, have you not experienced this, Christian? Faith is a what? A day to day, hour by hour decision in so many ways. And that's what we're going to see in the second point here. Abram has demonstrated great faith. This Genesis 12, 4 is amazing. So Abram went as the Lord told him. That's the place in Scripture through which the later biography on Abraham declares him as righteous. But as the narrative of Genesis unfolds, we see that Abram's faith, like yours and mine, was not without its testings and trials, both providential and of his own making, Abram would have moments when he would lose his sight, where his faith would stumble. So the first point, Abram believed God, and that was his righteousness. Second point, or rather observation for this morning is this. Abram obeyed and disobeyed. Abram was steadfast and stumbled. Abram was faithful and faithless, but God. But God. Now, verse 4, for me, the immensity of Abram's faith is inspiring. He doesn't even possess the land. He only sees it and trusts a promise. We can't be certain, but we know he was living in tents. I have a feeling wherever he was living with dad, even if it was a tent, it was a way better tent than the tent he's now living in. He's given up Hollywood. And he's out there somewhere on the Oregon Trail, if you would. Probably I have that backwards in history, right? I mean, I think the Oregon Trail preceded Hollywood. But you get the point. You get the point. He's living in tents. And out there in those tents, still in chapter 12 of Genesis, Abram would encounter a famine. Now, before that famine, Abram had, if you will, a theophany. But listen. Don't think that even if God were to grant you a theophany of this life, or if you had a visual sighting of the Lord, 
Don't think that means that afterwards you're going to be trial and faith testing free. I would venture to say to you the opposite. Because he who has seen much, ooh, careful what you wish for. Now he's in a place of famine. He's in a place of trial. He's in a place of hardship. A simple way to put it is he's experiencing James 1, 2 through 4. Brothers, don't count it strange. Don't, don't think it's strange when trials come, as if something strange is happening to you. Nothing strange is happening for Abram. It wasn't raining. And when it doesn't rain for a long period of time, what happens? Famine. It's nothing strange at all. His faith is being tested. Faith is always tested. And Abram's faith in this moment of testing, as we're going to see, to put it mildly, lapses. He heads to Egypt, and we have no account that he's asked God if that was the move to make. How many of us find ourselves in the situations we're in sometimes, when we trace it back, we realize, you know, I never actually inquired of God. I just went. He heads to Egypt without asking God, and he, and he, and he continues. He reasons from his vantage point instead of seeking the Lord. Here's his vantage point. Sarah, my wife, is beautiful. And it wasn't just, this wasn't just Abram being polite. No, of course, honey, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. No, it wasn't that. It was that, but it was more than that. People around them thought she was also beautiful, even at 65 years old. Abram knew that the Egyptians would find her beautiful. Now, remember, people were still living longer. In fact, Sarah would live to be 127 years old. So, guesstimating she's a mature modern day between 30 and 40 year old woman even though she was 65. Abram knows that. Abram this verse 4 and so Abram went full of faith Abram asks of Sarah the unthinkable. Tell them you're my sister. Now, that was a half-truth. She was, if you follow the lineage, kind of like a step, sort of half-sister of Abram. But that, that's not what he's appealing to. Abram is afraid he's going to die. They're going to see you. They're going to see you're beautiful. And they're going to want to take you. So let's do this. Tell them you're my sister. It was cunning it was self-preserving, and in Abram's mind, it was his only option. He completely disregarded the safety and honor of Sarah. Now, if it's mind-boggling that he did it once, those of you who know Genesis, he did it how many times? Twice! <laughs> He's going to do the same thing again and talk about the apple not falling far from the tree. His son Isaac would do the same thing to his wife, Rebecca, in Genesis 26. It's like a family trade here. Tell him you're my sister. What? Twice out of fear for his own life. What about the life of Sarah? Twice out of fear for his own life. He asked Sarah to lie about their relationship. And this, was, this is not just a little white lie, even if partially true. He's putting Sarah in a position of immense danger, potentially being married off to other men and all that that entails. Now, it would sound incredulous, right? It would sound ridiculous if we didn't have what? Our own stories. Maybe not that story. 
But have you not seen the inconsistency of your faith? Time doesn't permit. I, I, I've shared stories with you before of, of, of evangelistic moments like it, really in the India once in the face of what was potentially a beatdown, if not worse, I proclaimed Jesus Christ. And then in front of a sweet lady on a bus in Canada selling maple syrup, I'm like, but, but I'm here for something. What? No rationality to it at all. No consistency. Believer, have you experienced days where your faith is great? Believer, have you had some circumstance you're staring at and your reasoning and your reasoning has led you to a place that looks like anything but faith? So we don't mock Abram. Truth be told, whether we like to admit or not, we understand Abram. Two times, he's ready to deny he's married to her, putting her at great risk to save himself. Abram would also later listen to Sarah's advice that he take Hagar and seek to have a child with her. You know, they both realized they were getting older. Again, they're reasoning from their own perspective. They take matters into their own hands. So he sleeps with his wife's personal servant. We get nothing in the text where we see Abram, no, that's a bad idea. This is not a good idea. We really should, no, we don't get any. He's like, okay, all right, and he does. So listen, what's the point? What's the observation? Righteous Abram, trusting Abram, Faith-inspiring Abram had moments when doubt led him to some serious sin and unbelief in the face of his circumstances. Abram started so magnificently but would stumble several times over in shame because he did not look to God. Instead, he looked to his own reasoning. Now, we're not told that the famine was sent by God as a test of Abram's faith as we are regarding his eventual response of obedience to Isaac But we've already said this from James. We know, we know from Scripture, trials of various kinds will come. They will test our faith, and sometimes we rise. Sadly, sometimes we fall. Can you relate? Now, mercifully, in spite of these sins, God still protected His promise to Abram. We're going to understand more why next week as Shane preaches. God intervened, God saved, God had mercy on Abram and Sarah. Now why, why would God protect and even bless Abram through his failings? If you're familiar with the passage, that's what's crazy. The guy gives up his wife and he ends up leaving with a bunch of stuff. Literally, he was like richer after his stupid decision. <laughs> There's no explanation for that. But sheer mercy and grace God blessed Abram with possessions coming out of Egypt after that. That doesn't make any contractual sense. Now, what do I mean contractual? A contract is an agreement between two people. God has made an agreement, a contract, if you will, a covenant with Abram. Again, I'll leave it with Shane to develop it more next week. But I've been swimming in this idea of contracts recently. We sold our house. No, we're not moving away. I've heard, I've heard wonderful things. I heard we're moving to Vero Beach. I don't know which of you started that rumor, but if you've got a condo for me in Vero Beach, I'm, I'm down. I'm down with that. I'm totally down with that. No, we're actually moving to Winter Springs. We're, we're staying very nearby uh, in an apartment, just downsizing for the moment. 
But we entered into a contract with a buyer. Any of you who sold and bought houses, you know what this is all about. I spent the better part of Friday in dishwasher purgatory. Not kidding you, I bought and returned three different dishwashers. First got one that was discounted. It said repaired door. I'm like, sweet, half price. It's not in the box. And Lowe's wants to give it to you for half price because it's not in the box. I'm like, I'm going to take it out of the box. It's not going to work in the box. I don't need the box. I put it in the repaired door. I don't know what part of the door they repaired, but not the part that needed repaired. So I take that out. I take that back. I go get a new one. It's in the box. So I pay full price. Same problem. Note, don't buy frigid air. Don't. Okay. Third time was a charm. Third time was a charm. 700 bucks later, it was a charm. Why all that? Because I made a contract. And, and part of my end of the agreement was these things in the house, these appliances, will work for you. That's the deal, right? That's what I signed. And of course, as Murphy's Law or whoever's law goes, it was working great when it got inspected. And then a day later, it decides no more. No mas. I have to keep my end of the contract. Oh, church, how different is God's contract? You see, God's contract with Abram, as we're going to see unfold through next Sunday as well, God's contract, his covenant with Abram, it didn't depend at all, as astonishing as this may sound, it didn't depend at all on what he did or didn't do with Sarah at the border of Egypt. It depended on another entirely, God himself. Abram didn't have this passage to refer to, but you and I do. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for God. For he cannot deny himself. Abram experienced that before it was written. And so have you and I. Friend, let me put it in the question bluntly. If your salvation depends on your perfect ability to keep your end of the deal, who in this room will be saved? No, not one. Not one. So, at this part of the narrative of Abram, what do we see? What do we learn about God regarding not only his covenant with Abram, but with you and me and all who believe. It's this. Righteous is a declaration regarding your faith, not your perfection. It's a declaration regarding your faith, not your perfection. I love biographies. Some of my favorites, uh, spiritually speaking, would be by, about Spurgeon, Whitfield, Finney, Edwards, Secular-wise, I love biographies on Rockefeller, Disney, Henry Ford. Now, normally as you read through a biography, you learn two things, if you will. You learn of great strengths, but you also learn what? Weakness, failure, 
Sin, poor decisions. Now, we know the biography on Abram from Genesis. Listen to God's biography on Abram in Hebrews 11. And what I want you to listen for is what you do not hear. Let's read it, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who'd promised. I, wait, wait, stop. I got to insert. Wait, Hagar, wait. Sarah telling Abram, hey, why don't you go in that tent with her and see if you can't go have a baby. What? What am I reading here in Hebrews? Therefore, verse 12, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 17, by faith, Abram, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Friends, this is what it means to be in Christ. This is what it means. We know from Genesis that Abram, the father of our faith, yes, he had mountaintop moments of faith where his faith was awe-inspiring, but he had other moments, didn't he? We read about them. Why don't you read about them in Hebrews 11? Because he will remember our sins no more. Your biography and mine is not right here, but if it was, do you know how it would read? The same way. You might, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about, what about, what about? What about? Yeah, all that what about is why Jesus came. It's why he went to the cross for all your and my what about moments. Sin, failure. It's astonishing. The biography of Abram is his faith, his trust in God. Old and New Testament saints are saved the same way. Trust in the promise of God for the forgiveness of our sins. There's no record in Romans. There's no record in Hebrews. There's no record in James of Abram's failures and sins. Do you know the words of Isaiah 43, 25? I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You know, church, I, can I confess, I don't understand that fully. I mean, think about that. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. I, I could, it makes more sense to this pea brain to say for your sake. You know, because before the throne of grace, I don't want to embarrass you in front of everyone. You know, like I'm going to, I'll blot it out for your sake. Just to, just to, just to keep you from all that shit. That's not what it says. He does it for his own sake. I think it comes back to what Paul said to Timothy though. Because even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. God cannot disown himself. 
Psalm 103, he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is why the Hebrews account of Abram records what it does and what it does not. Because of amazing grace, because of an amazing covenant of grace that God made with Abram and all who believe. And as John Piper says, that act of faith so honors the glory of God's trustworthiness and power and mercy that God responds with the incomparable gift of justification. He declares Abram to stand righteous before him. Not that Abram will never sin again. He will. But he has now been forgiven for all his sins past and future in the sense that God will not bring him into condemnation for them. Friends, ultimately, as this series began and you've already heard, Abram's biography, Genesis 12, ultimately points us to Jesus. Jesus did not stumble when trials came. His faith never wavered. He did not look to his own devices, but only to God. And even in that moment when he asked, is there any other way? Father, can this cup be taken from me? What did he say next? But not as I will, but as you will. Abram was a great man of faith, to be sure. But Christ is the perfect man of faith, which is why he, not Abram, is our Savior. Abram is known for great faith, but also great failure. Jesus' life was known for only unwavering faith. Now, miraculously, astonishingly, shockingly applied to you and I who place our trust in Him. So to close, Christians, brother and sister, question for you. Will you, do you, agonize in torment, wondering, are your good works enough? Are your acts of love and mercy enough? Will they tip the scales, so to say? Simply, will you be saved by your works? Or is your trust fully, only, completely in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Because friends, that ultimately is what's going to produce the desire and yearning to live from Him. And we've often heard Chris say this. We now seek to love Him. We now seek to free ourselves from sin. We now seek to fight the fight, not, not, not to get to Him, but from a position from Him, in Him already. Like Abram, David, Peter, Paul, like every saint who's ever been declared righteous, you and I have our moments. What's your hope in that moment? What's your foundation in that moment? What's your surety in that moment? More works or more of Him? Who's your confidence? I pray today 
Yes, pursue holiness, but from a place of rest in his finished work. And if you're not a Christian, could I just ask you, what is your hope beyond this life? What's your hope for today? I don't think you're here by accident today. What are you trusting in? I mean, maybe you've heard this question in some form or fashion, but if you, if you were to die today and you're standing at the gates of heaven, and if you were asked this question, why should you be allowed in? What would be your response? Are you going to look to your good works? Or are you going to go to the ledger and say, I mean, I know I had my moments, but boy, I had a lot of good. Is that, is that your hope? I think you know better than that. No, don't look to yourself. You might be good as the world defines good, but you're not good as heaven defines good. And in that, you're in good company. Because no one here is good as heaven defines good. You don't need your goodness. You need a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Heavenly Father, take this feeble attempt to unpack Abram. Speak to us anew, but remind us there is only one solid rock. There is only one name. There is only one way to even have assurance in this life. And that way, that one, that rock is you, Jesus. And our faith in you and you alone. Thank you for recording all that's recorded in Scripture about Abram that we might learn. Speak to condemned hearts. Speak to wavering hearts. And may they hear you declare over them the same thing declared over Abram righteous because you've trusted me not because you've been perfect but would your acceptance motivate our obedience today tomorrow and beyond we pray in Christ's name